Welcome, and thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Ministries podcast. If you'd like more information about New Life or for more podcasts and other media, go to newlifexn.org. Good morning. My name is Pastor Brad. I'm the worship arts pastor here at New Life. It's a great privilege and joy for me to be able to welcome all of you here today. If this is your first time with us, we're so glad that you're here. Uh, We plan for you to be here. We prepare for you each and every week and I really hope that you've enjoyed your experience so far. Uh, We certainly are so happy to have you uh, with us today. Welcome back if you're a regular attender. I've been here for a couple of weeks. We're so glad you're here as well. I want to take a moment and welcome those of you watching on Facebook Live. We're so glad you're part of our church family today and just excited for what God's going to do in your life and in all of our lives as well. I want to welcome you to part three of our series, Inside Out. Uh, This has been a very powerful series because it deals with some very serious issues. You know, in the beginning, uh, in the very first book of the Bible, in the very first chapter of the Bible, it tells us that God created everything, and then he went on to describe how he created it, and the word that he used was the word good. And in verse 31, when God was describing his pinnacle creation, that is human beings, he used two words, very good. And it's important to note that God chose the word good to describe his creation and very good to describe human beings because the word good in the Hebrew language in which Genesis 1 was originally recorded uh, had several meanings, just like every other word in in Hebrew, had had multiple meanings. And I appreciate that because it allows us to go deeper into understanding of what uh, God was actually saying. So in its widest sense, the word good actually means, you'll never guess it, Good. Yeah, it wasn't a trick question, right? <laughs> you know, it actually means good, right? So good, opposite of bad, that kind of thing. It, it means pleasurable or, or agreeable. But more specifically, the word good here means excellent. So God made human beings in all of his creation, but human beings especially were very good. We were, we were considered very excellent. And excellent, you know, pushes to perfect, and perfect is whole. So when we hear that, we know that God created in the beginning. He created all of us whole and complete. In fact, in our emotional state, it means that God made us to be glad, happy, and prosperous. In our intellectual and moral estate, it means that we are of good understanding and, and that we are, following, we are moral people. And we were all designed this way. We were designed good so that we could be in active, in the active presence of God, in active personal relationship with Him. You see, God created us to enjoy Him and enjoy life. That's the way we were originally designed. But when we look around today, we could ask the question, what happened? I mean, you know, I don't see too many people who are happy and healthy when, when I look around, uh, not just this room, but just around the United States, around the world, and I've been around the world, and, and, and I've seen that the state of human beings is not really that good. Not too many people are truly happy and enjoying life the way that God originally intended. So what happened? Well, we find out a couple chapters later in Genesis that the enemy, uh, who is the devil, deceived Adam and Eve into disobeying God. He tricked them into Uh, eating from the fruit in the garden, which God said, you know, you can eat of all of this fruit except for one tree in the middle of the garden. You can't eat that fruit. Don't eat it. And and the enemy came and he said, listen, did God say that you should not eat from that fruit because you will die? And and, and Eve actually said, no, listen, we can't eat it. We can't even touch it because if we touch it, we're we're dead meat, right? 
And that's not actually true. God didn't say you can't touch it. He said don't eat it. He didn't say you couldn't touch it. And so Eve was putting an extra rule onto what God had originally intended. And so the enemy said, no, 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 listen, you can touch it. You can touch it. You won't die. And so the enemy exploited that, that disobedience, that weakness in Eve, and, and she took the fruit and ate it. And Adam, who was not uh, being a true man at that point, not protecting his wife, went along and ate the fruit as well. And sin entered into the world. And when sin came into the world, what God had created good was now distorted. Sin tarnished God's original intention. And because of that original disobedience now, we struggle. The effect of sin is felt in all of us, and we all know that because we do things we know we shouldn't do. We do things we don't want to do, and that's because of sin. Sin has had an effect in us. And I want to explain it this way. I'm going to put this up on the screen for you to see. Um, this is the way God originally designed us to live. Now, my wife looked at that and she said, that's a dippy egg, Brad. <laughs> and I said, it's got spiritual truth in it, babe. Okay, so, so here it is. So this is the original thing in the middle uh, of our lives, in the center of us, there's this thing called the spirit. God has created a spirit inside of us to be alive and fully working. And that spirit was then meant to engage the next level, which is our soul. And our soul is where our emotions, our will, and our intellect sit, right? So that's, that's like our mind and our hearts. And then that was meant to affect, ultimately, the flesh. So turn to your neighbor and pinch him as hard as you want to. Now tell him, that's the flesh. That's the flesh right there. Okay, so, so God created the spirit, the soul, and the flesh to work perfectly together so that we could enjoy life and enjoy his presence. That's the way that God originally designed us to live. But here's what happened when sin came into the world. Look what happened to that. It died. You see, the Apostle Paul says the wages of sin is death, both physical and spiritual. Paul says that in our natural state, we are enemies of God. We are dead in our transgressions. That is our sin. We are dead in our sins before God. And if our spirit is dead, then it can no longer influence our soul. And if our soul is, is tarnished and, 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 and kind of demolished from God's original intent, then the effect that it has on our body is oftentimes bad. And what happens is that, that instead of living from the inside out, which God originally intended for us, we end up living trying to live from the outside in. You see, we try to find books and, and medicine or whatever it is that will make us feel better on the inside. And so we put things into our body that we hope will affect our souls. And oftentimes we find that lacking. And listen, I am pro-books. I am pro-medicine. If you open my office right now, you would see shelves of books. Y'all thought I was going to say medicine, huh? Yeah. No, I got shelves of books in there, and you, you would go, I think he's sick, and he might need some medicine uh, for, those, for those books that he has, and, and I would understand that. I love books, and, and I know that medicine is very important and can be very, very helpful to our bodies, but if we are living from the outside in, we are ultimately never going to receive all that God has for us through those resources that he has provided to us. Instead, we are supposed to live this way. Let's look at this one more time. So, so this, is, this is us right now in our natural state, but God, knowing that, sent Jesus into the world to live a life we couldn't live. You see, Jesus never looked like this. Jesus looked like the original man. He was fully alive. He looked like that dippy egg, 
right? Everything was working correctly. He was in perfect relationship with his heavenly father. He was in right relationship with human beings. Only he lived a perfect life. And then he went to the cross, and on the cross, he took our deadness. He took our sin, and he bore it on himself. That's what the scripture says. And when he died there, he paid for our sin. Then he was buried, and three days later, God raised him back to life again. And in that moment, he overcame sin and death forever. So that now, when we believe in him, this is what Jesus said, our only work to do is to trust him, to believe him, to follow him, into this new life. And when we do that, here's what happens. Our spirits become alive. And when we believe in Jesus, he, he gives us his Holy Spirit, which regenerates our spirit, which makes us alive. In fact, the Apostle Paul, when he was talking to the Corinthian church, he said, you become a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. What he's talking about is this right here, that our spirits now are alive because of Jesus. And now our spirits then can impact and move out into our souls. And it can affect our souls in such a way that now our souls can begin to operate the way that God originally intended. So our emotions, which are naturally, honestly, out of whack, and our, our minds, which honestly have many, many bad thoughts and wrong thoughts about life, and our will, which is naturally disobedient and disinclined towards God, can now all be realigned by the influence of the Holy Spirit alive in us. And then that moves out into our flesh, and we actually see real actions. You see, we can have a thought, but a thought isn't really truly manifested in our life until it becomes an action, and then that action uh, can eventually become a habit, habits become values, so on and so forth. This is the way God originally designed us to live, and here's what I'm here to tell you today and what we want all of us to know about this series. This is why we're doing it, so that we can learn to live from the inside out and stop trying to live from the outside in. Because only when we live from the inside out will we find the life that God truly designed for us. So in week one, we talked about anxiety, and we learned if we want to get rid of anxiety in our lives, then we must trust Jesus. You're trusting Jesus removes anxiety from us. And, and the reason is because Jesus, when he was here on the earth and he was living here and, and teaching his disciples, he told his disciples, hey, guys, listen, I know some of you are, are scared. Some of you are unsure about what's, what's happening in the world right now. And I, I understand that, but you need to not worry about that. Instead, what Jesus said is we need to take our focus off of our anxiety and focus on him, on, on his kingdom. And then God said that he would provide everything that we need. And that's incredibly important because most of us, to be honest with you, what do we get anxious about most? We're afraid that the things that we need are going to be taken from us, either a job, food, clothing, you know, a place to live. We, we fear that we might get hurt. Our life might be taken from us. We, we fear about those things. But Jesus said, no, stop fearing that because that's just distracting you from the life that God has for you. And what God wants for you is a life that is illuminated, ignited on fire for him where he is providing everything that you need. And so that's why when we trust Jesus, he brings us alive and we can focus on his kingdom and then God can provide through our spirit. How incredible is that? So he removes that anxiety from us. Now, I love this because I heard in a podcast yesterday, and if you don't know what a podcast is, it's just an, uh, an audio broadcast that happens on an iPhone, okay? Um, 
or a droid, I guess it could happen on a droid. Not as cool, but um, <laughs> just kidding, kind of. Anyway, <laughs> all right, so, so I was listening to this podcast, and this guy was saying, you know, when Jesus was talking to the people, they had this incredible blessing because, God, you know, Jesus was fully man, fully God. And, and, and I love this because in your Bible, you ever notice if you have a Bible and you open it up into the Gospels like Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, you ever have a Bible with the red letters in it that you kind of notate Jesus' words? It's very helpful. Um, he said, you know, when Jesus was speaking, he was speaking red letters. And I was like, wow, that's true. I mean, Peter, you know, got to hear, um, the Apostle John got to hear what, what Jesus was saying like in the flesh and how incredible is that. So stop worrying and start living for the kingdom. Then last week we talked about anger and we learned how to move from anger to contentment by yielding to the spirit of God. And we learned that anger is actually a very natural response. And it is a natural response. When we feel like something's been taken from us or we don't get what we deserve, we typically get angry. And I mean, at least I do. And I think that's a natural human response. We feel like, I deserve that, I need it, and so we get mad when it's gone. But, but being um, content and having peace is actually a supernatural experience. And we looked at Galatians chapter 5, and we studied that very closely to learn that we must yield to the Spirit of God if we are going to live in peace and contentment. If we're going to live the life that God designed for us to live from the inside out, then we must allow His Spirit to break through our spirit into our soul and into our body so that we can find that peace that we long for. Now, today we're going to talk about an emotion that quite often is hidden in our lives, and that emotion is bitterness. So bitterness is something that oftentimes we don't see when we're in it, and we struggle with it. And, and some of us, you know, it's very present in our lives because it affects, it's from the inside and it affects everything on the outside. And when somebody says, you know, how are you doing? You're like, fine. You know, um, you want to go have a cup of coffee? No. You know, I mean, bitterness, like bitter people, like how many of you love hanging out with bitter people? Okay, don't raise your hand because that's probably you. Um, so, so, so here's the thing, right? Like none of us enjoy hanging out with somebody who's bitter, but all of us probably struggle with bitterness to a certain extent, and I can prove it to you, actually, two weeks ago, two weeks ago, something happened that I think should, should cause most of us to be bitter. The Steelers tied the Browns. <laughs> I mean, come on, the Browns? And then what happened last week? You know, I, I mean, we lost to the Chiefs? You know, I mean, what's, I, anyway... You know, we could have debates about that, and of course, I'm just kidding. But the reality is, we all struggle with bitterness to a certain degree, some more than others. But the author of the Hebrews makes a very important point about bitterness. Here's what he says. He says, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it, many become defiled. You see, when bitterness takes root in our lives, it springs up. And it causes us trouble. And what happens is that trouble leads to division. And then that division leads to dissension. And then that dissension eventually defiles us. Right? And, and like when you hear that word, like don't you cringe a little bit on the inside? Like don't you call me defiled? Right? I mean, it's just kind of a weird word. We don't, we don't use that word anymore. But we do use the word nasty. Right? Like that, man, that person is nasty. And I don't mean like they don't take a shower. 
All right, I'm talking about like they're mean, angry, doesn't want to be around anybody. Like we, we refer to that person as being like a nasty person, right? And we, we naturally just don't want to uh, be around nasty people. But that's truly what happens when we allow bitterness to take root in our lives and then it grows up and, and we become nasty people from the inside and it shows on the outside. Now Shakespeare made a keen observation about people. Here's what he said. There is nothing more confining than the prison we don't know we're in. There is nothing more confining than the prison we don't know we're in. Bitterness is often a prison we don't know we're in. Because it takes root in our hearts, bitterness affects all areas of our lives. God must help us if we're going to escape that prison. You see, only God holds the key for us to unlock the door to the prison of bitterness and walk out into freedom. And that's what we're going to focus on today. So one time Jesus' disciples came to him and they said to him, Jesus, we see you praying to your heavenly father and we see you praying for other people and like people are being raised from the dead and that's pretty awesome. So could you teach us to do that? Could you teach us to pray like you pray? And Jesus said, absolutely, I'll teach you how to pray. And so he goes in and he says, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then he goes into this next section and he puts this part in here, which we, I think we can understand, but let's look at it together from Matthew chapter six, beginning in verse 12, it says, and forgive us our sins. Amen. Thank you, Jesus, that you include that as we have forgiven those who sin against us. Now, why did you put that in there? Right? I mean, honestly, like when you look at that prayer, you go, I hate that. You know, but Jesus oftentimes did that. He, he is, he's teaching us life in the kingdom of God. And, and a lot of times, if it doesn't go against the grain of our sinful nature, of our flesh, then probably it's not the kingdom, truly. So that's why Jesus was saying, forgive those who, forgiven, uh, who sin against us. And then verse 13, and don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. And that's a period, the prayer ends there. But then Jesus goes back and he explains what he meant by forgiving others. This is the only part of the prayer that Jesus goes back and explains. So it's very important. And here's what he said, verse 14. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your father will not forgive your sins. Now, we thought the prayer was bad. And we get to that explanation and we go, whoa. That is heavy. That is hard. That is difficult. But you see, what Jesus is saying is, we cannot become bitter. We must keep short accounts with people. Because if we're bitter, we will miss all that God has for us. We will miss the life that God has for us so that we can experience his power and his presence in, in relationship with other people. We'll miss it. And so he says, listen, you have to forgive other people. You must forgive them. Because if you don't, your heavenly father, he's not going to pass that on to you. And what he's saying is if you're living life like this, like Pastor Chris talked about last week, and you're holding on to that bitterness, you're never going to be able to receive from God the forgiveness that he has for you. 
So Jesus isn't saying it to be mean. He's just stating a reality in the spiritual realm. That if we're holding on to bitterness, we can never receive. So how do we overcome it? Jesus said, we must forgive. We must forgive. We cannot let bitterness take root in our hearts. We must forgive others. We must keep short accounts. Now, there must have been something to that that later Peter went back to Jesus and and he, he kind of pushed him a little bit more. And I, I'm guessing that Peter's the kind of guy that struggles with forgiveness. Okay, so here's the account. Here's what happens. We find this in Matthew chapter 18. Then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? And then I just kind of picture Peter in my head just puffing up his chest and saying, seven times? That seems pretty generous. Especially if you have kids, right? You know what I'm talking about? All right, this is the sixth time. I'll give you seven, but that eighth time, you're out, <laughs> right? You're out of the house, you're out of the car, whatever, you know? Like, like, so Peter's like, seven times, that sounds pretty good. Jesus goes and gives him a response, no, not seven times. And Peter's probably like, I knew it was less. <laughs> no, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Now imagine Peter's response after he picked up his jaw off the floor. I mean, that's like an infinite amount of times right? To deal with somebody emotionally in that way. Jesus continued, and he explained it this way. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owed to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, Please be patient with me, and I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him, and he released him and forgave his debt. But, the, but when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged him for a little more time. Be patient with me, and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. And when the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave, I, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters. From your heart. So Peter was looking for a way around forgiving people. And Jesus makes it very clear that life in the kingdom of God is marked by forgiveness. And if we're going to live lives in the kingdom, we must live ready to forgive. Now, he, in that account, we read, you know, that angry king, he brings in the servant, the servants before him, bowing down, pleading for his life, literally. I mean, this servant owed millions of dollars to the king. And the king had compassion on him. And he said, you know what, I love you. Go in peace. I forgive your debt. You are completely free. And, I mean, can you imagine the joy inside of that servant? 
as he gets up and runs out of there and probably tells his wife on the way, you will never guess what the king did for me. And as he's walking down through town explaining this, he sees somebody who owes him a little bit of money. And all of a sudden, something inside of him just goes crazy. And he goes, that guy owes me money. And he goes over and he grabs him by the throat and he, he throws him down. And the servant, you know, his, his, this person says to him, hey, listen, I, I'm going to pay you. It's the exact same thing that just happened to this guy. And Jesus said that he wouldn't let it go. And that made the king angry. You see, guys, what Jesus is pointing out is that if we are going to live lives in the kingdom of God, then that kind of living is not acceptable. But my question is, how many of us are that person? How many of us experience the forgiveness of God, the love of God, thank him for the grace that he has poured out in our lives, but treat other people with contempt. We treat other people with anger. We expect other people to live up to our standards. When God has forgiven us against his, which are perfect. I mean, Jesus is basically saying, listen, this is impossible unless you yield, trust me, and live in the Spirit. We have to learn, if we're going to live in the kingdom, we have to live in the kingdom the right way, the way that God intended from the inside out, not from the outside in. Remember what the Apostle Paul said in Galatians chapter 5. We looked at this last week. I want to just point it out to us again. The Apostle Paul in, in Galatians 5, he compares two people, people who live in the flesh, in the sinful nature, and people who live in the spirit. And here's what he said about the people that live in the spirit. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. So Paul is saying, listen, when we yield to the Spirit, when we live in the Spirit, then and only then can we live this life of forgiveness because we experience God's forgiveness and we let it release through our souls, through our emotions, and then eventually through our actual physical words and, and our, our physical experience through our body to the people around us. And when we live this way from the inside out, we are going to demonstrate all aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. And notice that the first aspect is love. You know, the Apostle John tells us that God is love. Jesus told us that God sent Jesus into the world because of love. Therefore, love is the primary factor in the, in the kingdom of God. And we cannot love others if we do not forgive them. Part of loving is forgiving. So if we harbor bitterness inside of our hearts, we can never truly love the way that Jesus intended for us to love. So we must forgive if we're going to live from the inside out. So how do we do that? Well, there are three specific people that we need to forgive in our lives. Okay, three specific types of people we need to forgive. Now, you're going to connect probably more with one or two of these than all three of them. Maybe you'll connect with all three of them, and that's okay. That just means that there's some work to be done. So here's the first person that we have to forgive, ourselves. Jesus was once asked, teacher, tell me, tell me, what is the most important commandment? And Jesus said, all the law and the prophets could be summed up into this. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love your neighbor as 
yourself. You see, Jesus' implication is that we love ourselves. And if part of loving is forgiving, then we must forgive ourselves. But you need to understand something. That's really hard because you've lived the longest with you. You've said the most evil things to yourself. You've been there for every experience, good and bad. In fact, many of us, we will we'll commit a sin and then we'll, we, we may ask God for forgiveness if we trust Jesus as the Lord and Savior, we ask him for forgiveness and then like the next day we commit the sin again and we go to God and we ask for forgiveness again and we know that he's forgiving us because he, he's a good father, he loves us and he, he has grace in his kingdom and so he forgives us. But then the third day we, we sin again and we go, man, I'm an idiot. Why do I keep doing that? I know the scripture says that a dog returns to its vomit. That's disgusting. That's exactly what it's like when I'm going back to my sin. That's, I mean, that's what the whole thing was explaining. Right? And, and then we begin to say, man, you're an idiot. You're so stupid. Brad, you are so dumb. Nobody could love you because you're, you, you're just so stupid. You keep doing the same thing over and over again. You're a moron. If it sounds like I'm really good at, at badgering myself... That's because I am, and so are you. And what happens is, eventually, as we speak those words, those words become paths in our, in our brains, and, and those uh, paths become our thoughts, and those thoughts then eventually become our beliefs. And then we eventually express those beliefs in action. And we really, truly do believe that we're stupid, that we are dumb, that we're people that nobody could love, and God is just screaming from heaven, no, I love you. I sent my son for you. You were created with work to do in my kingdom. You were meant for so much more. And so what happens is all this self-talk builds a barrier between the life that we have and the life that God wants for us. So we must break down that barrier, and the only way to do it is to forgive ourselves. You know what? Yep, we keep going back and doing the same thing. Should we stop? Absolutely. Should we pursue everything possible to stop? Absolutely. But let's forgive ourselves. Let's allow the power of God in his spirit to ignite our spirit to pass that forgiveness to ourselves, so that we truly can love ourselves because then guess what? We can love other people out of the overflow. I would even venture to say this. You and I will never love people truly. We will never love people well until we love ourselves well. It's impossible. That's what Jesus said. So we must forgive ourselves. That's the first person. The second person could be more than one, but I just put them together in this. Other people. Other people. Now, this one requires some important action. One time, Jesus was explaining to his disciples that when you come and make an offering to, before the Lord, so maybe even when you come to worship and you're here worshiping God and you remember or God brings into your mind or, or maybe it's just your brain is really good and you remember somebody has something against you, go to that person and ask for forgiveness. So if you've, if you've been the offender, the one that has hurt somebody, then what Jesus said is, listen, you need to go and ask for forgiveness from that person. And then you come and you, you make your offering. But, but what if you're the one who, who received the offense? What if, what if you're the one who's been deeply hurt 
by somebody. Well, you and I have the responsibility to forgive that person as well. Because remember, life in the kingdom of God is marked by forgiveness. God's forgiveness of us, our forgiveness of others. And I understand that people hurt people really bad. Like if there's anything that we're good at, it's hurting each other, right? But the reality is we will never be free unless we forgive that other person. And so we have to rely on the power of God in his Holy Spirit to give us the love to forgive other people, even when it hurts most. And so sometimes we need to go to them and say, I forgive you for what you did, because those words to somebody might break down a barrier that that person has, has been struggling with for years. But for us on the inside, it breaks down barriers immediately. And I understand, I want to be very clear, I know that to go to somebody who has abused you, whether physically, emotionally, sexually, whatever it is, is a dangerous thing. Don't, certainly don't go to that person, but forgive them in your heart. And I know it's hard. <laughs> I know it seems almost impossible. And listen, maybe today you can't do it. Try tomorrow. At the end of the, the service today, we're going to have a time for prayer, um, to, for you to say a prayer. And I hope that it will become a template that you can take. I was talking to a buddy of mine, and we were talking about sin, and we were talking about how, um, isn't it great to talk to me, talk about sin? Yeah, it's exciting. Um, but we were talking about how sin takes root in our lives and, and how it creates paths in our brain. And if we commit sin over and over and over and over again, eventually it becomes a habit, and, and then it's really hard to break. Well, if it takes years and years for that habit to form, it's going to take some time for it to unwind as well as we trust God. Now, listen, God will do it sometimes like that in the power of his spirit, but I found that a lot of times it takes, sometimes it takes counseling, sometimes it takes uh, just consistency and saying a prayer over and over again, allowing God to release you. So don't expect it to immediately happen unless God gives you that gift, but continue to pursue it. So forgive other people. That's the second person. The third person is, and this might be a little bit weird to some of you, and not all of you will have to do this, but some of you need to do this today. You need to forgive God. You need to forgive God. You've said to him, God, I don't know how you could be a good God and let this bad thing happen to me. I don't know how you could be a good God and let me be abused. I don't know how you could be a good God and let me lose that job that I have dreamed of my whole life. I don't know how you could be a good God and, and take my mother away from me. So in our minds, we make up the decision, God's not good. And we need to understand that's a subjective decision. We're basing that on our emotions and on our experience. Instead, what we need to do is look to the Bible and say, how is God really revealed? And what we'll find is that God is a good God. That is an objective focus. He is a good God, a loving God, so much so that he sent his son to die for me and for you. And he wants nothing more than for us to live the life he has intended for us to live since the beginning, an inside-out life that is only available when we believe and trust in Jesus and follow him and allow his spirit to empower us. And so some of you in here today, you, you just simply, you need to say to God, God, I'm mad at you. In fact, I've hated you at times. 
And I, you need to know this about God, okay? He's not a man. So he's not going to get mad at you for telling him that you hate him. He's going to go, I know. But you see, if we come to him like this, and we just are so bitter towards him, we can never receive the life that he wants to give us. So today, some of us, we need to move from this to this by forgiving God. We go to God all the time and ask him to forgive us of our sins. We need to now go to God and say, God, I have put up this barrier between you and me, and you're a good God, and I need to trust you, and I need to forgive you. The thing is, God's never done anything wrong because he is good. And the Apostle Paul said that, that when bad things happen to us, oftentimes those bad things happen um, because of sin, and that's never been God's intention. But sometimes those things that, that happen to us, God will use them to develop perseverance and character inside of us so that we can become more and more like Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. And so some of us need to forgive God so we can receive his forgiveness for the first time and maybe ever or at least for the first time in a while. So those are the three people that we must forgive. And you see, emotional freedom only comes when we forgive. But we must rely on God's power to forgive. You see, bitterness is natural. This is our take-home point for today. I hope you understand this. Bitterness is a natural response. Forgiveness is supernatural. Because only when we have the supernatural presence of God pouring out of our spirit into our soul and then out into our bodies, into physical actions, can we release his forgiveness in our lives. It's not something we do naturally. It's something we have to learn to do. We must yield to the spirit of God. So here's the next step you can take this week. It's just very simple. I will forgive others this week. I will forgive others this week. And here's what I know, that, that as we pray a prayer that I'm about to share with you, God might release some of you right now. But others of you, you're going to need to take, grab a hard copy of this message out there in the gathering area. You're going to need to take this with you and, and turn to that prayer every day. Or you're going to need to go online and watch the message and take a screenshot of this prayer. Or you just take a screenshot right now with your phone. I don't care. Whatever it takes to experience the freedom and the life that God has for you. You might have to say it over and over and over to unwind the hurt that's been done. So let's look at that prayer together. We're going to put it up on the screen. I want you to see it before we pray it. Here's what it says. Father, I forgive every person, living or dead, who has ever used me, abused me, or hurt me in any way. I release them to you that you may bless them. In Jesus' name, amen. Now what I know is some of you may pray this prayer with your teeth clenched. And you need to know that's okay, but it's a good first step. Then tomorrow you might be able to speak it a little easier, and the next day until eventually it's true, and you're free. So if you would like to say this prayer with me right now, I'm going to ask you to say it as we pray it together. Father, I forgive every person, living or dead, who has ever used me, abused me, or hurt me in any way. I release them to you that you may bless them in Jesus' name. Amen.
See, God created us to get the best of our emotions, not for our emotions to get the best of us. He created us to live this inside-out life. And if we're going to do it, we have to live like Jesus, who lived to forgive. So we must live to forgive as well. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for his truth. Thank you for the uh, gospel writer Matthew who wrote these accounts down so we could understand the significance of life in the kingdom as being marked by forgiveness, born out of love. Today, God, we ask that you would move in our hearts in such a way that you would break down any barriers that keep us from experiencing the inside-out life that you have designed for us. God, I pray that you will make yourself so real to us in the confession of this prayer that you would be honored and glorified in it through our lives in every way. Help us to live, to forgive. In Jesus' name, amen.